0: Come on, Juggs!
1: To draw, Lose or Draw, a weekly podcast covering all things Partick Thistle. Joining me this week to look back on a couple of heavy defeats are James Kearney. James, how are you? Um,
2: A little bit demoralised, but here, I suppose.
1: David Forrest here. David, how are
3: you? That about sums it up for me, to be honest. That's how I feel.
1: And rounding off our panel is Rhys Haldane. Rhys, on the 10th of March, you tweeted, personally, I think that Partick Thistle going from top six in the Premiership, being unfairly demoted to League One, making a late surge to win that division, and now possibly winning the Championship, is a far better story than their growth fairy tale. Um, do you have anything else to add? And how are you? Oh,
4: well, first off, I'm down bad as hell, mate. Um... Honestly, i went from sixty-five percent to fifty percent. Now I'm at a generous two percent. But I will say regarding that tweet, like people keep tagging me and stuff saying this is the reason, like obviously they're taking a piss, right? But I feel as if people are actually believing that I'm the reason that they've fucked this up. It's just because the players have chucked it, right? And also another thing just before we just finally on that tweet, I still stand by what I said. People keep mentioning like a fairy tale thing. I never mentioned what we were doing as a fairy tale. I just said it was a good story. And if we were to get promoted, I still believe it's a fucking better all round story than what's happening at Abroth. But hey, doesn't help when the team are faulty bits, does it?
1: It does not. Um, we'll start with the team and we'll start with the Hamilton game from the weekend. It was a concerning starting 11 that was announced. Sorry, so, Reese, I'll, I'll stick with you. What were your initial thoughts and feelings when you saw the starting 11 and the very sparse substitute bench?
4: Concerned straight away, I was I was a bit worried because my first thoughts were thinking back to the six one game, and I was just thinking that night it was Tiffany, Ruddon and Graham, and um, we absolutely battered them, and everything good was just coming from those three, um, and we we didn't have any of them at the at the weekend against Dacq. So I was like, how how do we approach this game? Where's the goals going to come from? Obviously, you could be uh, pretty good at like carrying the ball and whatnot, like getting into good positions, but we've not really seen him. Look dangerous in the box yet, and then even worse comes to worst, he pulls up in the warm up, and then Allegra has to come in, and obviously he gets an early booking, so it wasn't wasn't he great? And obviously we're we'll touching it a bit more, but the bench was so sparse, and it just left us with very few options, and obviously it was it was glaringly obvious for everyone to see that it's it affected us on that day the, the the lack of squad depth.
1: James, can we use the the lack of, of bodies on Saturday as an excuse? Is that is that is it acceptable that we we just write it off as we no bodies and that's that or how deep do we have to dive into how wrong Saturday went?
2: Um, I mean I don't know. You look at that start eleven and I don't know. I think that's a team that's good enough to beat Hamilton. Um, like I I think maybe maybe they need to change the shape a little bit and just change the style of play. But I think they're they man for man. I don't think Hamilton are so much better at hands that we just need to hold their hands up and accept a four the defeat. So, no, yeah, I think that, yeah, obviously the main concern is obviously when you look at the bench, you see God, there's only four people on it, and that that, that is a problem. Obviously, the squad depth thing has been an issue throughout the season, really. Um, but I guess we're at that point where I would like to think, I'd like to hope that going into next season, we won't be in the same position where I don't think we'll have a squad. If it's small, I think it will get a bit bigger. <clears throat> obviously, with the money that the other clubs got through the COVID release fund, like hopefully that that won't make as much of a difference, you know, a year a year or two down the line. So then you know finance starts to sort of get back on the even keel with everyone. And I'd like to think that you know we won't be forced into this position again. Because I think that's when it comes down to ultimately was cost. I just think that we didn't really have the money to bulk out the squad as much as we probably should have. And it's at this end of this run of ten games in 39 days or something like that that we're paying the price for. It. I mean it's an accumulation of things. It's you know the pitch is an absolute disgrace. The squad's been small. We've had to play a whole bunch of games rammed it in, into one small period at a time when we're missing players for injury and whatnot as well. So I think it's a combination of things. Like obviously the result is incredibly disappointing, just because we don't really, and that's all happened, really we've been getting hammered off teams at all. Really, I mean, we played badly and lost, but we've not been getting. I mean four out at home is pretty grim. I don't. Um, <clears throat> I think you must go back have to go back to Caldwell era for the last time that happened. I would imagine. So I think that yeah, I think I'd say I think it's an accumulation of things that sort of came to a head that day. Obviously the matter of the defeats really disappoint and, and it's difficult it is a sore one to take. But at the end of the day it is just one game, I suppose. Or at least it was until Tuesday.
1: I'll stick with you for now, James. I'm gonna ask the first listener question. We've got a lot of them. Lee Gardner's asked a few. His his first was can you complain about a lack of bodies when you have players out on loan and We've obviously got a few kids scattered about the loan leagues, but I'm assuming he's referring to the likes of Shea Gordon, who's at Queen of the South, Ross McIver, who was loaned out late as well. Those two were loaned out when we knew we had a, a fixture pile-up. Um, is it valid to complain about lack of bodies when we loaned those players out just a few months ago?
2: Um, well, I would imagine
1: that a you know, part of the deal is to get
2: likes of McIver and Gordon a way would be that the other teams will be playing a contribution towards their wages, which then in turn probably allowed us to get a couple of players in. So I don't think it's quite as clear cut as that. I think that, you know, maybe it's a case of, you know, by sending those guys out alone that you then freed up enough in the wage budget that we're able to sign Allegra and Yucubiak or whatever it is. So I, I don't know if it's necessarily as clear cut as that. I mean, there are, are obviously frustrations. Like, I mean, obviously as probably the other candidate. You'd say, I mean, we could probably use another... Uh, if we need another body, in like he's uh, a capable player, and I get that, but at the same time, he's you know at the start of the season he made that decision to go and join to to chat the managers over and say what to go and join Allah and and you know get a spell away from the club on loan. I don't think it's fair to him or to the loan club that uh, if we were to all of a sudden recall it. So you know, I think I can understand why the decision was made. I think I would imagine it was made so, to free up room room in the wage budget to bring in other players. And I think that, you know, we were all crying out for more players uh, to be brought in during January tra- uh, transfer window anyway. So, yeah, I think that's just the, that's just the
1: cost of doing business, I, I'd say. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I think these issues are never as black and white as they seem. I think it's sort of similar with the pitch as well, because obviously the, the ground share turned into a bit of a disaster with the pitch being as bad as it is. But at the same time, if, that, if the money we got from that got us the money to get a player, is it worth it? we'll never really know because we won't be privy to to that information so those sort of things are great areas and people can come to their own conclusions david i'm going to ask you uh, i don't know if you listen to guardian football weekly but this popped into my head when I, i i looked at the question i was going to ask you when they come to barry glendening to ask them the sort of yogurt pots for hacks questions after we've gone over the series the series topics i'm going to ask you have you ever conceded a funnier goal than hamilton's first on saturday
0: I mean christy Elliott's um against Ayr was quite funny uh that was because that was like a sensational piece of skill at the wrong end of the goal where he was just running about and yeah that was quite wild um i i i don't know I thought the one the one the one in Tuesday is actually really really funny as well and <laughs> it was a strong contender um myself i I, I did quite enjoy it although um, i, I I don't think any goal has ever made me laugh as much as Danny Devines against Uh, Dunfermline, and that was that was that was mainly because of you, to be fair. But yeah, but certainly that goal on Saturday was incredible. (laughs) It was was, you know breathtakingly just odd.
1: Rhys, where do you think it went wrong on Saturday against Hamilton? And going into the Dunfermline game, were you thinking that the Hamilton game was a freak, or were you expecting what happened last night?
4: Where did that all go wrong? Just say we touched on it already like you can look it down to the injuries that we've got all mounting up and the the fixture congestion and stuff but I just think on the day Hamilton looked that they wanted it more they were all over us they, they attacked us from from the get-go and it just it didn't look like we went into the game with any sort of plan or any sort of belief in getting it from the game like we no Graham no Tiffany and of course um, with Rodden being away like we sort of lack any sort of creativity and you're just kind of relying on like a, a shot at goal from like a Ross Dockett or something which obviously happened on Tuesday night to maybe open the scoring but yeah and then obviously the mistake from Sneddon kills you heads drop a bit and then they go right on half time and it just pretty much seals our fate of course you go out with the second half with all the intents and purposes to get another goal and um, get, get yourself back in the game but just mistake after mistake unforced errors it's just it was an embarrassing performance um, all round and it, it was one of those ones right put that behind you leave it in the past and move on now but um i said to you guys on the day on yesterday the day of the game i said i'm not looking forward to this one but i can't see us getting the result tonight and i was spot on man like i said i turned to my mates when we went 1-0 up and i was like this is going to be like morning again we need to get a second goal and build on it it's like three cone goal from mel again i don't you can't blame mel for that it's a ball out of the box and he sliced it over sned and the things happen he's been he's been great all season. But then, the goals to come from that, we just, both our full-backs, McKenna and Foster, they were bullied on Tuesday night, and the defending was just embarrassing. I know, like, their second goal, the the head on the box, I was Tifty's man, he just wasn't tracking them, like, they didn't look confident at all, people didn't want to, it looks like there's no, no confidence in each other, they don't want to pass about each other, they don't want to try things, they were playing it too safe, and then making countless mistakes in their own half, and at the end of the day we're coming Like I think that's the first time this season that we've probably lost three in the trot and you look at all the teams around about us the Inverness Rafe Rovers they went three months without a win um, I think they went runs of like 11 games 11 game winless runs and now it's our turn we're going on a bad run of form at possibly the worst time possible and it's an absolute capitulation but we can only hope and pray that we manage to turn this round and actually keep ourselves in the playoff positions now
1: James were you feeling as pessimistic as Reese before? Yesterday evening's kickoff in Dunfermline, When you saw the starting line, you know, Tiffany was back in, the bench was a bit more populated. Were you upbeat or were you still feeling the worst?
2: No, I, I was probably feeling quite positive, to be honest. Um I was sort of hoping that yeah, it'd be the Hamilton game would have been just like a bad day at the office, sort of draw a line under it and try and move on. And then obviously when Darkway scores after five minutes, he thought, Oh right, here we go. Um, I think I right, having like, some Murray back in the squad is good, obviously Tiffany back is huge, and the fact that we're playing away from home, I was like, right, you know, I think we've probably got a better chance to play there because, yeah, just obviously the surface is better, I think, and the, the players, I think, like I've said a lot, is that the players we've got can actually play football, and, you know, that's why that, that squad's been assembled, so uh, I did fancy our chances. By about 15 minutes or so, I think I'd give <laughs> um, it up. Um just be yeah, I think Dunfermline were just better. They just had to run off us completely. Again, there was that sort of listlessness to it, a real passivity. I think you know where we just sort of let football happen to us. I think the, the worrying thing from both the Dunfermline game and the Aki's game would be that just the and to an extent the Martin game as like, well. Actually, it was like just the the sheer lack of any creative threat. It just didn't seem like we knew what to do at any point or how to go about winning the game and I, that's now two three games and everyone where that's happened and that's got to be a concern I, i'd like to think this is a little blip and then hopefully when we get more players back, like, i think you know brandon in particular i'd like to think that like i still think we will finish in the playoffs. I, I don't i'm not quite um that despondent yet but it's clear that we're going to change quite a lot because i don't see how we can play the same way at far hill that we do away from home and i don't know like if we can does that mean that we we just we play we go move to hoofball and just stick with that and just go with that for the end of the season or do we try and play a different way away than we do from home because and that that, <clears throat> that seems like a big ask to me personally and so yeah I, I think that the quality of football and offer for the rest of the season I wouldn't be surprised if it takes a bit of a depth to go on so I wouldn't be surprised if we start with it that's, that's certainly the, the impression you got watching the Coles post-match stuff after the Aki's game
1: and I think that as a result, I think that you know, that's something we're gonna have to sort of brace ourselves for. To be honest, I don't think I'd be too against that. Um, McCall hinted, well, he did he more than hinted. He basically explicitly said in his, his the free-to-view interview post-Hamilton that his instructions were ignored. They told the players, "Don't be passing it about. You can't play football in that park." And I've sort of not, I noticed. I think I said it a week or two ago. When we go long ball, when we play long balls up to Graham when he was fit or to Kubuak. The rest of the team almost looks embarrassed to play long ball, and we're not supporting the the striker when we do it. And if, if that's the route we're going to go down for the rest of the season, we've got to commit to it. If we're playing long balls to a focal point, we've got to get midfield runners running beyond strikers, wide players coming in to support. If we're playing for set pieces, getting big men into the box for long throws, free kicks, we've got to properly commit to it. It's, it's no good if you're just going to play a long ball, and then the rest of the team's a bit like, oh, this isn't really what I fancy. David James mentioned there the the lack of attack and threat, which I think was really highlighted in the second half especially last night. But during that second half, I think Mark posted in the chat how wild it is that we're still the league's top goal scorers, albeit we haven't won by more than one goal since the Air United 4-0 win down at Somerset Park. Where do you see attack and threat coming from for Thistle in our last six games?
3: I mean, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about how Allegria and Kubiak, you know, they'd done stuff or they weren't scoring goals, but they were contributing, they were bringing positive aspects to the team, but they weren't scoring and it was, they'll come good eventually, but there's only five weeks left, how, how long do we have realistically before they can make an impact? If you look at the realistic options for where goals are going to come from, you look at Brian Graham, obviously. 18 goals this season. Perpetual threat. But he's not scored in 4 or 5. And he does go in these slumps and so he does not score for a while and then scores afterwards. But again, there's almost so long left in this season. We can't hang on waiting for the slump to end. You also think of it Scott Tiffany. But I mean, Scott Tiffany, he only had 70 minutes yesterday. But he, he, didn't, he, he, didn't, he didn't look to the same standard that he usually is. Which has Possibly being a bit harsh because his standard is so high. He's one of the best players in the league That obviously even at a lower standard, he's probably still very very useful You look at Holt Obviously putting him at centre forward you No, know, needs must. It was a very odd thing, but you know, he has scored a few goals mainly from set pieces Do you really want to be relying on something like that, but that's always an option, especially with Kyle Turner putting in set pieces and obviously you've got Ross Dockett, he'll just ping ones in from distance. But to be honest, those aren't surefire ways to get goals. And I'm not entirely certain where we're going to get goals from. We need all of these things to contribute. And if one of them is not contributing, we we will really struggle. So the answer, to be honest, is I don't know.
1: Well, I, th- I think, again, if- Sort of going back to that McCall interview after the Dunfermline game, he did say it was good for Tiffany to get I think seventy minutes and the legs, and even with him looking eh, a bit leggy, he was still a brightest spark out in the left. I thought, Rhys, where do you think it went wrong last night at East End Park? It just looked the
4: same again. Like Dunfermline, as I said about Aki's game, Dunfermline just looked so much more up for it. Obviously, we started off on the on the front foot, good start to the game. Couldn't have asked for a better start. But as soon as we conceded that on goal, it was as if the heads just dropped um and it put um Dunfermline right in the driver's seat and they just went for it. Every every time they went forward it looked like they were going to score. Um and they just they absolutely blitzed us down both um both sides. They were killing Foster and McKenna. Um and it was it was a really tough watch and I'd probably say the guy that was pulling the strings for Dunfermline was Stevie Lawless, a guy that's basically been putting himself putting himself out there for a, a move back to Thistle for best part of a year now, um, and for what, for well sorry for whatever reason it just never happened. McCall maybe didn't fancy him or whatever. Um, who knows what happened? But we have guys like Cammy Smith who've had one goal all season, maybe two or three goal contributions and thirty plus games. Just as David said in that team, as soon as we go a couple of goals down and. I mean, Tiffany's just back. He's not. He's not fully fit. Where did the goals come from? And I thought I that Tiffany did try his best. Like there was a couple of moments uh, when he, he beat a few men and got into the box. And of course, as we come to see from Tiffany, sometimes his final ball isn't the best. And it was just it was a frustrating night because as soon as we went, um, as soon as it went three-one, the game was done. It's, it was just it was almost a matter of seeing it out because there was no way we were getting back into that game. We could have played for another two weeks and not scored. And. Once again, we're hamstrung by the, the options we had on the bench, but some of the substitutions for McCall, I mean, bringing on Stephen Bell f- to replace Tiffany, right, we get it. Tiffany's not fully fit. But, and I hate to say this as well, Bell, Stephen Bell's probably a, g- a great guy for the dressing room, but he's he's definitely finished at this level. It was shades of the the League Cup opener at Four against against Dunfermline. Absolutely smoked him for that fourth goal. Just left him in the dust and then another embarrassing night. And just leaves us in, in a bit of a no-man's land now because you look at you look at all the fixtures, you can't start thinking, oh, we need Abroff to drop points or we need uh, Inverness and Rafe Rovers to drop points because we just now need to focus on ourselves. We just need to get the wins and just hope we can stay in the playoffs now.
1: I'll come back to you, Rhys. Uh, do you think we can recover in time to make the playoffs? We also had a question from Vinnie Ferguson who said, would going up this year be a good thing? I don't know if you want to tackle the, both those questions.
4: Of course we can recover. It's football. like Things can change in an instant. We could go out at the weekend and beat Kelly, then beat our Broth, and then you're thinking if only we'd won those two games where we, we fucked it up. Do you know what I mean? But And that would be the most of things to do. But at this moment in time it seems a million miles away from a good performance coming. But stranger things have happened with this club. In terms of If we do manage to to stumble our way into the Premier League, then of course you would take it. At the end of the day, that's what you play football for, to to win leagues, to to get promotion. Um, And of course, that would be the the ultimate aim. But I I get what's what's being said. We we do look underprepared for that situation. At the end of the day, a promotion would be absolutely amazing and it would give us the money to rebuild our squad for the Premiership. But at the same time, I do feel that we're probably a year away from being ready for the Premiership. But you've got to take that opportunity if if it arises. And I'm still hoping to get promoted. I'm sure all you guys would would still be hoping to get promoted. And I don't think there's a single person out there who would knock back getting promoted because they don't think the squad's ready. It it doesn't make sense. I
1: I think the whole argument about the, the, oh, we're not ready for the Premier League, oh, I don't want to get promoted to watch this get get humped every week. It's a very very easy thing to say of two potentially season-killing games, if that makes sense. If we went up, I've got no doubt they would strengthen the side. And the the core of the team is experience. It's not like we're, we've got a very young core. You know, we've got Brian Graham up front, Premier League experience. Bannigan, Premier League experience. Docherty, I don't think he's got Premier League experience off the top of my head, but, you know, he's 28. He's, he could cope at that level. We've we'll, we'll got guys in the squad who have been there, done it, and they'll, they'll see the younger heads through. And... <laughs> The money that you'd get from the Premier League. We've spoken about the pitch and the state of Fehill as well. The financial benefits have, have gone up. I think outweighs the the risk of the squad not being ready. Um, I just wanted to pick up on something you said, Reese. Um, about both games, about um Hamilton and Dunfermline looking hungrier than us. I'm sort of reluctant to criticise the players because they've they've had a really good season up until the last couple of weeks. And I really don't think the last two games was for, for a lack of effort or anything like that. I don't think you could really look at any one player and say oh, they've chucked it, they're not trying. I just think it's a, a lack of confidence more than anything. He said after the first goal went in on on Tuesday night there that the heads dropped. It was the same against Hamilton as soon as we went a goal down. It was almost like watching a game when we had ten men and it was just damage limitation. It was such a weird feel, and I think it's just it was a complete lack of confidence more than lack of lack of effort. James, I want to come to you about the players that have been playing on the pitch recently. Reese mentioned Cammy Smith's been, been a regular and maybe underperformed Robbie Crawford after a bright starts maybe tailed away too. How do you see the team shaping up? We've got a big game at Rugby Park at the weekend and then six games left to the season. How do you see the team shaping up for the rest of the season? Do you think it'll be these guys, the Smiths, Crawfords that McCall relies on? Or do you see it getting freshened up on Saturday?
2: Uh, I mean, <clears throat> I wouldn't be surprised to see Brian Graham come back on Saturday. Because uh, I know McCall had mentioned on Monday that he thought Brian would be trying to sort of give him the, oh, I'm all fine, you know, door not worry me, boss, put me in, I'm ready. Kind of stuff. So that would say to me that he's probably, he probably will be actually ready in this weekend. And I think that will make a big difference, you know, um, and particularly if we are going to, have to change the style of play and start. Um, obviously, that doesn't really matter for this weekend. But you know, if we are going to start playing long ball, more Brian games obviously, the guy you need in the squad to play like that. Um, I guess, I guess, uh, I, 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 in terms of like the actual makeup of the squad, I mean, let's face it, we don't have too many options. I think it will mainly be a case of whoever's fit and you know training where well will play because that's just you know we don't have a large squad. We don't have the luxury of. I mean, just look at the Hamilton game the other day. It's like, you know, we just put to try and fit eleven players onto the park. And, you know, that might happen again. If other other pick up injuries. And let's face it, on that pitch, it's got to be a big it's surely got to be a concern. Um, you know, that could end up um really damaging the the squad depth of the club. So I think the I think it will be a case of um there might be square pegs going around holes on occasion between now and the end of the season. I'd obviously like to hope. I'd obviously hope that doesn't happen, but it wouldn't surprise me at all, just given the fact that it is a relatively small squad. And one of the things as well that Nicole mentioned every day, that I thought was, really, was um, really interesting was the fact that because of the, the state, the pitch is in it for how it's a lot leggier for the players to play on, so it takes a lot more out of them when they're playing on it. And I just wonder as well, OK, it's only a few more games left to play for how but I do wonder if that'll maybe... Take its toll, and it maybe means that you know, like like at the did the other night. You know, maybe rather than playing him for ninety minutes, he only gets seventy. You know, and we we, we sort, of, and then you know, obviously that all it comes down to is, you know, and then it comes down to that last twenty minutes and how well we do without him. So, yeah, I think it, it probably comes down to I think there will be lots of chopping and changing team you know, at the end of the season. Yeah, you are looking for a bit more from, I think particularly Cammie Smith, as uh, Reese mentioned, I mean, he's only got a few goal contributions for a player in his position, playing the amount of minutes he's got under his belt, that's not enough, but he needs to be doing better, he needs to be showing more. And I think that when he first signed, we were all quite excited by him. Um. So yeah, I think there, there are definitely players who could do a lot more. I'd like to see a bit more Kyle Turner as well going forward, and particularly if we are going to start, Having played as long ball football, he might not be a bad option to have as someone launching those long balls, as we have all seen with his set piece deliveries, are very good. Um, and he's got, I think he's, I think he's still the top assist um, provider in the league, despite the fact that he's probably only played in about half the games. So I'd like to see a bit more of him, and I still think the will come good as well. I think I've been impressed with him when he has played. I think he's, um, he's got a really good balance, really good ability to hold the ball up. And he's quite direct when he has to be as well so I I, would, I I think that it wouldn't surprise if he got a few goals between the end of the season I, I've got concerns over Allegri I've got to say I think that he's um, you know for the last couple of games I don't think he's offered much even though maybe before that he'd offered a little bit a couple of wee flashes or a couple of wee glimpses in previous games so there is there is talent within that squad it's just a case of harnessing it and I think that yeah, I I don't say I think we'll see quite a few players coming in and out at the start of 11, between the between then and the end
1: of the year. I, I, I totally agree with, with, with pretty much everything you just said. I don't know if David, did you want to come in there?
0: No, um I mean I mean I, I kinda you, you you do have to kinda worry about Allegria about sort of is, are are we gonna remember him? Next season, like, are, are we going to be looking back when, you know, Anna was a good signing that he made an impact? He's, he's not made an impact yet, and I think maybe the jump up from, say, the lowland or whatever maybe been a bit too much of a jump for him, like, even though we, we were told, you know, that he would be able to make the jump quite well from what Ranger stands and stuff like that. Um I think, you know, in terms of the squad depth, I mean, it, it, it is strange how we're, we're kind of scrabbling for a squad. I mean, I, I bought a program yesterday, and we had a high, we had a bigger squad than them um, under, but we just kind of been hit with these injuries and illnesses and stuff like that at the time, and that it it's really hampered us. That yeah, it's it, it's a bit difficult, but um, there'll be there'll be square pegs and round holes. We've I been mean, doing it all season with like Turner and Smith and stuff like that playing out right. We'll we'll do it regardless. So I, I expect more of it to be honest.
1: I think, that, well, just going through a, through a few players. The thing for me about Smith, I know he's not an out-and-out striker, but he's played off the striker at times this season. He's definitely an attack-minded player. You always say about strikers when they go on a goal drought, if he's getting the chances, you don't worry about him. I can't remember chances that Smith's even missed. He's just not getting into any dangerous positions or setting up chances for anyone else that I, I can think of. He's He's been really underwhelming. I don't know if it's confidence or or what's happening with Smith, but I think he possibly needs time out the side. Crawford, I feel a bit more sorry for, because I think he's been sort of shoehorned in to different positions, and he's not really had a run in the middle of the pitch. I and mean, when Crawford plays well, I think he, he, he's he's a really good, handy player. But when, when Bannigan and Doherty are below their standards, I think they still have something to offer the team. When Crawford is below his standards, because he's not in the his natural position, I think it's almost an, an empty jersey. And again, I, I, it's probably harsh saying that because he's not playing in his natural position. As James said, I'd like to see Kyle Turner in because at the moment, set pieces look like our biggest threat. You know, Kevin Holt scored a few goals recently and Turner's uh, the top assist provider in our squad. So I'd like to see him play because similar to, to Bannigan and Doherty, even when Turner's below part, he's still got that threat from set pieces. David, how is your morale ahead of Saturday's trip to Rugby Park? Oh Jesus!
3: Um, I mean, the last three games have really dented our confidence. You've seen them with Sneddon and at Morton, the way he fell into the goal. You've seen the minimum of them in the goal. Um, I absolutely broke them. Um, and we've really not bounced back from that at all. Against Hamlet, Ordn, Ferman, we are really low in confidence and good players who. I've been really solid for his defensive way all season, you know, breaking clean sheet records. Um you know, on a power man side until about two weeks ago. You are seeing players who scored goals previously and are not scoring them in the moment and it's it's difficult. It's one of those ones where we're a low ebb and we're playing are going for the title. It would be very thistle of us to be the kingmakers and beat them in our growth and then lose to air or whoever. But um, yeah, I think it's it's one of those things where we need someone to break the streak and snap us out of it. And hopefully, a game against Gilmarnock where we beat them, that would, that would be such a boon. That you you kind of just have to live and hope, don't you?
1: Earlier this week, I caught up with Rhys Jenkins to take a tactical look at where it's all gone wrong in recent weeks.
0: We're gonna play football
1: I'm now joined by Rhys Jenkins for hopefully the first of many tactic corner segments. Rhys, thanks for joining us. How are you doing?
5: Yeah, I'm alright. I've been better
1: after that Fremlin game, but um, yeah, looking forward to talking to you about this. So the first thing I'm going to ask is, what's sort our of trends have you noticed in our play recently? Obviously, a little dip in form, three defeats on the spin. Is there anything that you can put that down to? Uh, I don't know if I don't know if I can put it down to like
5: tactical trends or anything because I think there's probably a, a lot of factors in terms of like kinda there's some fixture congestion. There's been um, availability problems with the players like like our squad in the last two games has been pretty pretty weak and a bit hampered by that. But um I've noticed a couple of things that have been sort of maybe different. Like I think w- we we all saw that um the kind of four three one two sort of the sort of diamond we were playing with the the, the two strikers and the the one behind who was almost like a sort of a winger but like they would drop didn't get me on were Murray doing it and it was sort of, sort of drifting out to the left and out to the right that's that's something I noticed that was changed because beforehand we were kind of quite wedded to the four four two and occasionally maybe like a like a four two three one or something like that and I I don't mind that I think it's something that quite keen on um like in his kind of ideal uh, kind of t- ideal setup but um I think uh, I still think it suits our kind of fullbacks that we've got at the moment and that's something that will probably I'll probably kind of be mentioning quite a lot here and it might sound like a bit of a broken record, but I think um, for something like that to work, we need to kind of, you need our fullbacks to be really getting on and offering the width there. And uh, that's something that I think has been lacking a little bit. Another thing I know, I've know i noticed recently, not so much like a, a tactic, but maybe like a individual players, I've noticed that Doherty's kind of become the one to to drop deep and uh, kind of help it and build up a bit more. I think beforehand you'd maybe see uh, a and Doherty both kind of trying their hand at it, but I think recently I've noticed Banigan been pushing up the pitch a lot more, and um, trying to get involved in like the kind of the final ball and stuff like that, and kind of getting right up and down. Whereas doherty has been a bit more kind of helping out in the first phase. Something else we've we've noticed has been Kevin Holt. I think he's been playing, he's been kind of playing more of a centre back role recently, and that's something I'm really keen on. I don't know if you if you agree, with me, Matt, but I think I really I really like him there because. Is threat in the box in both boxes is, is unmatched in the squad, unmatched in the league maybe, and um, I think it makes the most of that. It also kind of minimizes his weakness when he's out in the left. He's maybe not the most attacking, but uh, he does still get up, up to kind of help out and put balls in. But he's not like it's not really what he's natural at. Like we signed him from Cyprus, and he was he'd been playing all season before that as a left centre back in a back three. And I think that kind of position, left centre back in a three or two, is is what he's, he's suited best to, or like or a left back where he's not expected to get forward at all. I think he's he's fine there as well. Um, is that something you'd agree with, Matt?
1: I think it is. Definitely, I think we should always have Kevin Holt on the pitch just because of his, his aerial threat in both boxes, as you say. It's actually really surprised me what a threat he's been this season. And I think Tiffany's injury in, in the last few weeks has really highlighted a problem that we've we've spoken about all season, but it's sort of gone under the radar as the attacking threat from full-backs. And as you say, Holt's not amazing out there, but if he was playing left-back and we had a really attack-minded right-back, I think it could work. But um, as you say, I think we'll go on to talk about the fullbacks a bit more in depth later on. I wanted to ask you, what do you think we're doing differently now from the first half of the season? And I'll combine this with the, the next question: How big an effect has Ruddon had leaving us? Because we were pretty glued to the 4-4-2 for the first half of the season with Ruddon and Graham up front. Um, Crawford's come into the the club and the, the side for most games since he came in. Cammy Smith's also been more of a fixture since since Rudden left as well. Has there been any notable Contrasts and tactics and style of play from, we'll say, post and
5: pre Uh So I'll start with Rudden. When we lost him, I was obviously a bit gutted, but I thought that we should have been able to replace. It's not replacing exactly, but I thought I thought that we should have been able to make up for that in different ways and maybe play more of a kind of midfield-heavy system. Maybe go Rudd, a Graham up front and if we go for like a four-three-three or a 4-2-3-1 and kind of pack the midfield a bit because. I think that would have given us a bit more control in games. We've not really seen that. Like we've we 2 the four three one two, the kind of diamond. That that does it a little bit, but I think we we kind of lack in other ways. So I think what we've lost with Rodden is the kind of well the hard work. Like he's a very hard worker, so that's like the kind of the pressing side, out of possession side of the game. We've lost a little bit there. And then I think aerially, like the threat he offers, like we we quite often revert to the sort of long balls and fight for second balls. And I think he was really a, an asset in that kind of side of the game. And not just that, but you'd run the channels and things like that. And he was he was generally putting a lot of work in every game. I think this is something we've, we've lacked. We've replaced him with Allegria and you And Ukubiak has actually impressed me quite a lot, but he's a totally different player. So it's, it's not a like for liking the slightest. Um, so I guess if you're playing Ukubiak in game up front, you've lost a lot of that kind of... Um, You've lost a lot of that kind of tenacity, um, and that's not like a slight one you, Kubiak. Like, he's just a different type of player. He's much happier dropping in, getting touches on the ball, kind of linking up play, which is something that Ruddin wasn't so great at. So yeah, I think we're we're lacking a little bit there. And in terms of Allegria, I don't want to be too harsh on him because he's he's a he's a young kid, uh, but I think we're yet to see him impose himself much in the team. Um, he's had some good moments. He's had some good chances. I remember I seem to remember the one. I don't remember what game it is, but he, he, he's. Um, I think he was like up in front of the north stand, and um, he. he went so close a couple of times I like get the bar so I think he's kind of got himself in some good positions but in general I think he's kind of just he's kind of drifted in and out of games and I, I think he's that, that's something we've lacked since losing and Rudd and, and yeah in terms of actually the team overall I think we've maybe started to like I think have you seen that in the Jags interviews and um, Archie and McCall and stuff have kind of been referring to this as like playing football and whether they want that or not and I think maybe with the lack of kind of presence up there we've kind of gone been times we've tried to play it from the back a little bit more but that doesn't seem to be something the manager's actually that keen on because with the the state of the pitch and such so I don't know I think um, I think when we do play out, we've we've seen it. I don't I don't think we don't seem to have a whole lot of structure there. Like it's we've I've seen i notes quite a few times where we've been playing out from the back, and you maybe have Mayo on the ball or something uh, playing out to the fullbacks, and we just it doesn't seem natural to us. I think there's something we need to work on going into next season. but like we kind of struggle to really like play through the midfield. We'll play out from the back, and um, you often find that we have I've I've said mentioned this before, but we might have they get everyone on the last line of defense, and it's almost like I hey, would play it from the back. Then we're going to kind of go long, and um, that's something I think we should just work on, uh, kind of tactically, but. Um, is there anything you've noticed Matt, about uh, the kind of post
1: No, I agree with that. I've said in the group chat that we we're in a few times that we look like sometimes we want to play long ball, but we're almost too embarrassed to do it. So we we play long ball, but then we don't throw midfielders and wide players up to support um, the strikers that the long balls are going up to. So I, I agree, sort of, we're well, maybe sort of caught in between styles without running. I wanted to come back to you and just ask a question. It's obvious. It's obvious. I think most people, when you look at the the stats for Ruddon that we're obviously missing as goals, but defensively as well, you mentioned as pressing. Do you think that's maybe contributed to, I'm not saying all the goals, but like just how the confidence in the defence has maybe dropped in recent weeks? Is just, can you pinpoint maybe it's to do with the lack of Ruddon's pressing up there, or is the midfield and defence a bit more exposed because we don't have such an energetic presser from the front? Do you think that's a factor, or is that looking into it a bit too much?
5: Something I hadn't totally considered, but uh, I can kind of I can kind of see why that might be the case. Because if you're if you're being played if kind the first line of your press is being played through more easily, then. You're just inviting more pressure onto you because it's 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 easier for for the opposition to get out and kind of establish themselves like any kind of control on the game. So it's, I think that's something that could be the case. Um, it's not one that I've ex- exactly noticed, but now you say it, I can kind of I can kind of see see why that might might happen. And I do think yeah, as I was saying, I think that there, there is a there is we have we have kind of lost lost some sort of tenacity up there uh, without without Rodden. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think it's been a big loss. Anyway, we spoke about the fullbacks so I'm gonna ask you I think we all think we're probably going to, to add at least one or two fullbacks in the summer. But do you think there's a, a fix for this in the last six games and possibly beyond into playoffs? Is there any options we can go to or any change of shapes we can go to to get a bit more from fullback positions?
5: I've I've said it a few times in terms of uh, like what I'd like to see and I think that there's there's definitely a shout for a back three being used because we saw it um we saw it against uh uh, Hamilton the weekend when we were down like I mean it wasn't a great showing of it because we were, we were the team they chucked it but we went to a three through the back because I think it what it does is it forces the fullbacks and well into backs and they have to get up and down and they have to hold that width whereas when they're fullbacks it can be quite easy for them to sort of hide and, and hold back and kind of be a bit conservative um, and I think that is something I wouldn't mind my main problem here is that I think we're sorted on the left hand side because we've got Hope playing left centre back and we've got we can play Hendry uh, left wing-back and then um, they can kind of, they can kind of dovetail uh, quite nicely because I think you've got you've got Holt who can sometimes kind of push on and then you've got Hendry who can kind of drop in and cover and then on the right, we've got McKenna who's playing right-back and I'm not too sure how I feel about having McKenna right wing-back. That's where the kind of, the sort of unknowns go in and I, I'd kind of suggested we could maybe just try and shoehorn a midfielder in there. Like, you've seen it, yeah, I've seen it plenty of times. Like, I think someone like Crawford with lots of energy and he's not exactly tied down a starting spot in our midfield maybe just in the running that could be something he could offer us it's just like up and down on the right hand side just as as that wing back it might not be perfect but it's something i've kind of considered um so in that you could maybe go for like a sort of three five two or a three four three for us possibly suits the three four three better because tiffany can maybe be that kind of playing in the sort of in between space between the wing backs and the striker but yeah i think we've got options there that's that's my kind of Main uh, main thought when it comes to alternative sort of setups, but um, yeah, it, it's it's I sound like a broken record, but it comes down to a, a width again. that I think that's that's what that system would give us. Um, when we're going with this sort of the the four at the back, especially when we're playing the kind of diamond, we just don't have any width structurally. Like it's, there's no like you have players drifting out, but there's just there's not no one occupying those wide areas, and that makes it really hard to to kind of impose yourself in a game and sustain any sort of pressure.
1: I totally agree. I think it's something we saw in post the January 2020 window when we went to a back three. And I think McCall played Shea Gordon at right wing back for a few games and actually it worked OK. So I, I can see that happening. I can also see a change to a back three slash five for Saturday just just to tighten up. And maybe it will be Ricky Foster on here, or Kieran McKenna on the right just to give that sort of defensive stability. But I think it's definitely something we, we need to look at because we've spoken all season about Especially down the right side, the sort of lack of creative width. And I think it's just been highlighted without Tiffany on the side. Um, the last question I was going to ask you, Reece, is what do we need to improve for next season? Um, assuming we're still in the championship, uh, are there any specific targets you've got in mind? Any positions you'd like to see strengthened? We've obviously spoken about fullback, but anything else? Yeah, so
5: I don't have specific names yet, but um, I've got some kind of areas down where I think we should improve, and it's something I have actually been thinking in the close season kind of thing when we when the playoffs are done and we know exactly what our fate is. Because I mean, I'm I'm assuming it's championship, but I mean you never know with the playoffs. But I think I might do something kind of go into a bit of depth and sort of identify where I think we need to improve, and then kind of go through the kind of data and the video and stuff like that and pick some targets. That's something I might try and do, but um. Yeah, in terms, of, in terms of going into next season, I'd like to see us commit to something, whether that is like a style, whether that is um, sort of playing out from the back and really like going through the midfield and generally you know, playing quote-unquote nice football or whatever, or whether that is that he thinks that we suit going long ball and that's what we want to do. I think we should just commit to commit to kind of one of the two. So I think, as you say, we've been kind of stuck between, between the two. And then in terms of positions for that, if, we, if we're going to stick with the back four next season, I mean, it's relevant for back four or back three, but I think fullbacks. I think we need a, a new set of full to be honest. I think we need the easiest upgrade in our team right now, I think, is is someone, a natural right-back who can get up and down and it is a bit less cumbersome than McKenna. Um, So definitely someone there. In terms of left-back, we've seen Holt playing left-centre-back and we kept McCall's all but confirmed that Holt next season will be a, a starting centre-back. So that that basically means that we need a we need another left back and I don't see Hendry staying on. I've I've been impressed with him at times, but he's not exactly set set the world alight. So I I wouldn't be surprised if he moves on. Um. So yeah, basically starting full backs and then we might end up needing three full backs to be honest. It it depends it depends who stays and who goes. And then the other obvious one is on the right hand side. Uh, so the kind of like yeah the kind of right winger. We haven't really had a mainstay there all season. We've seen Kyle Turner kind of out in the right a lot, but. Uh, he drifts inside quite a lot, and uh, without a kind of attacking right back, that maybe doesn't work so well. And I think he is more naturally a central player. Uh, so I'd say somewhere on the right, we've brought in McAllister, and we've got we've got guys like Murray who can play out there, but there's just no one's really staking a claim to that. So I think that's something we
1: should we should definitely uh, uh, focus on. No, I agree. We've spoke again. We've spoken a lot on the pod about what McCall Ball is, and I I really just want to echo what you said about. Settling on a style of play Because I, th- I think even when we were winning And I know it's it's easy to be To use hindsight after a, th- a few defeats But we did say when we were winning as well There wasn't really a clear style of play We were just relying on Tiffany coming up with something And Graham and Rudd and scoring goals And again it's been highlighted with the absence of those three So settling on a steer, clear style of play And as you say I, I totally agree with, with the fullbacks as well I think progressive fullbacks If, if we're going to go to sort of Playing football style Progressive fullbacks to bring the ball up the pitch is a must. Um is there anything else you want to bring up, Bruce, while while I think,
5: we're Yeah, I think I'd add to what you were saying there about um the style and when you look at our best performances this season, you'd probably say Hamilton was like well, it was the maybe the the best game. And even in the Hamilton game, when you look at it, it was uh all of our chances pretty much were created on the transition. They were like mostly a result of Hamlin kind of pressing us an attack, try attackers, try to go for it, get some goals back, and we would just absolutely kill them on the counter attack. Um, and I think that kind of highlights that like it wasn't like the kind of settled possession that we were actually doing much in, uh, and that's is what we were saying here. Like, like we were good, we, we've been quite good this season, especially earlier in the season, like punishing teams uh, on the break, but. I don't think there's been many many times this season where we, we can see a team sat in against us and we've kind of unpicked them and we've we've uh, sorry like yeah we've unpicked that lock and just broke them down so I think that's where these kind of players we're talking about like fullbacks that can push up stretch the stretch the game um, and let the midfielders kind of kind of like yeah unpick that defence that that's where we need
1: to improve going into next season. Absolutely, um, Reese. We'll get you back on hopefully very soon to talk about the season as a whole and. Your in-depth transfer wish list for the summer. But um, take care of yourself, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having
3: were me.
1: Right, I'm going to come, come round to you all now for a few quick fire questions. First one is from Ross Alexander. Would we all take fourth if we were offered it right now? Rhys?
5: At this moment in
4: time, after what I've just seen, 100% yes. Last <laughs> couple games of torture.
1: The trajectory of these questions is absolutely appalling. I'm so glad we're mathematically safe. I would be asking if we take eighth in a couple of weeks. We've gone from percentage of title wins to would you take second to would you take fourth in a couple of weeks. James, would you take fourth? Yes,
2: absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, but only because I think, I don't think we can get first or second realistically anymore. And let's face it, finishing third, there's not really that big an advantage. Okay, you get the second leg, of play off at home. That's it. Like, yeah, you know, i get give fourth.
1: Absolutely. David, you're the optimist here. You taking fourth?
3: Yeah, I probably would. To be fair, take fourth place, easy life, get over and done with. Like none of this on the last day. Yeah, I'll take that.
1: Okay. Next one. Score predictions for Saturday at Rugby Park. Reese. <sighs> sure last episode we
0: said, have we ever predicted Dedicated. another team right. to beat? So, um,
4: oh. It's no starting the day either because it's going to be 2 1 jags and we're going to. <laughs> we're no conceding 4 again um, and we're going
2: to oh, we're somehow going to steal it and win 2 1 right to the death. James? Uh, I think this is the day the tight turns.
1: 3 0 jags. You're going at the same crack then as David?
0: we are fucking ridiculous as a podcast you know that absolutely
1: ridiculous I um, fuck it 3 know, Jags man. <laughs> I'll go nil now I think McCall might chuck an extra extra body in the defence I know Mayo's away I wouldn't be surprised if we saw well I think Stephen Bell is likely to play with Mayo away and maybe Hendry at, at left back of a five with Kevin Holt as a left sided centre back and a back three and just tighten it up don't give anything stupid away play for a point, stem the tides. I'm sort of expecting that sort of game on Saturday. So I'll go 0-0. Next question, again from Ross Alexander. Um, What movie would you show the players to motivate them ahead of of Saturday's game and the the promotion running? Rhys, I'll start with you on that one.
4: Wow, man, what a question. Uh, In terms of, like, something that's actually going to go and motivate you, like... Maybe something like the Conor McGregor documentary. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but that stuff is inspiring, mate. Showing you him when he's getting his like universal credit or whatever it is over in Ireland and then to being what it is now. That will make you want to go up and start winning games. But
2: um, I don't know, maybe paid in full or something. <laughs> I don't know. James, uh, what I would like to do is show them Moneyball and then say to them that that's how they were all recruited and just be like, no, he's our winning team, you just don't realise. And just see what happens.
1: Fair. David.
0: Um, I've got two choices. Have you ever seen a Clockwork Orange? You know how like the um to open his eyes up and then like flash images at him to make him into this drizzled, violent <laughs> being. I think we should do that. Alternatively, I remember I once went to the Banshee Labyrinth in Edinburgh and get quite drunk, and they were showing Rocky too, and it was me and like four other steaming people watching Rocky beat. Uh, oh, is it Clubber Lang. Um, and we were all up like <laughs> like like Hamilton 6 1, basically. That was us, us Steven and Nui Cinema and, and the Vansy Labyrinth, So Rocky 2, why not? Uh,
2: hang on, I need to jump in there. Uh, this is an absolute disgrace. Everyone knows that in Rocky 2 he fought of Paul the Creed again. Clubber Lang was in Rocky 3, I believe. This is this is an absolute
0: disgrace. I, I was drunk, James. What do you, what, <laughs> what do you want me to do? It was Apollo Creed, you are correct. Do you know what it was? They'd done a Rocky marathon of what, all six films. So it was literally Rocky 2, then Rocky 3. So that's why I'm getting mixed up. I apologise. I'll, I'll do better next time, Mr Kearney. To,
2: to to be fair, getting drunk and watching as many Rocky films back-to-back as possible is a lot of fun. I've done that before.
1: Uh, I'd probably pick Jaws because, to be honest, I don't think watching a film is going to make any difference to the performance and they might as well just have a class of hours. So I'll go for Jaws. Um Tom Hogg is in with the next question. And David, I'll, I'll come to you on this one. What is the worst material that football boots could be made from? He's he's referenced to players um slightly suspect first touches in recent games. Um with this question. So what is the worst material that football boots could be made from?
0: I'm I'm thinking like the sort of the perspex glass that they make like the windows and the portmobile out of? three inch thick bulletproof glass and uh, that would probably be quite shite um or oh, i don't oh no actually no um, the, see that toilet paper you used to get at school that was at one ply absolute <laughs> disaster I, that would be the worst thing to make football but of
1: i feel like there's there's a story behind that answer but i'm not i'm not going to ask for it um reese james any advances on school toilet paper Uh, or Portmobile that's
4: wild that's absolutely wild that's wild from David that shoot but um, I don't know I think a few of the players had a I had a trampette in a bit last night because it was shocking wasn't it like every time I had the ball in the middle of the park it was bouncing here there and everywhere but never to a first with jersey but I get that sorted man trampettes taken out
1: James Uh,
2: I'll go for lead I think lead
1: boots would make it really hard to play football. That would be heavy. You can argue going,
0: that
1: some players last night were playing with lead boots. Cough, Stephen Bell cough. I'm going to go poppadoms. Uh, uh, I like calling goalkeepers poppadom hands when they make a mistake. I think poppadom boots would be a disaster. Um, I think I think that would be difficult to run in, difficult to control a ball. don't think could do very much in them, so I'll go poppadoms. Anyway, we've got two Partridge Thistle questions this week. We've gone, gone for two to try and and lift the mood on us a slightly, a slightly, a very depressing pod. So, the first one is What trait do you share with Ian McCall? And I ask this because um, Jamie McDonald, who is absent this week, uh, reshared the video of Ian McCall getting a fright uh, after a loud explosion at Broadwood last season during his post match interview. And I, I could I strongly relate to that. I, I get scared very easily if somebody just walks into the room that I'm not expecting. I, I shiver. I, jump up, up out of my seat and i also remember ian mccall getting a fright at the the flag unfurling for the league one trophy in on the opening day this season so i'm going to ask you all what trait do you think you share with ian mccall anyone can come in on that uh,
2: i'm a smoker does <laughs> that count
3: we'll accept it one thing i noticed about mccall in interviews is that he all, people always talk about how much of an affable chap he is and he's always in the West End and he'll meet people out and about and always stop to say hello and, you know, always get asked if he's got comps for tickets and stuff like that, uh, for official games and stuff like that. And I'm I'm a bit like that. I know friends from various different social circles who don't know each other, but I'll go into town and there will be a massive pain in the ass if I'm ever in town with you because what will happen is that I'll go... And I'll meet someone else who's not in our social circle and they'll say hello and then I'll get sidetracked for 10 minutes speaking to them and holding everybody up and stuff like that. And I get that regularly every time I go into town. I'll meet someone I know and I'm I'm one of these people who always stops and says hello to people and, you know, makes the effort to acknowledge you. So, um, yeah, I feel that me and McCall share that that trait. Are
1: you pre selling comps for the the Draw or Draw Live show at the Hydro in the summer?
0: Open goal in the muds.
1: Reese, do you have anything in common with, with the gaffer?
4: That <sighs> I can say on air anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> uh, uh, just love getting it round there, uh, United. Hey, that's about
1: That's fair, we'll take that. Right, Rhys, I'll stick, I'll stick with you for the next one then because I think you're going to like this one. What footballing conspiracy do you believe in? We've obviously spoken in depth before on the pod about just general conspiracies, but what footballing conspiracies do you believe in?
4: Wow, man, this is—you've actually caught me off guard because I seen that you asked this earlier on in the chat, and I meant to go and watch videos, and I forgot to do it because there's a page on TikTok, and it's solely for football conspiracies, and it's absolutely brilliant. They play like pure scary music over the top yeah, show you all the clips. Oh, I can't believe I've not—I've not got one in my mind. But that's a brilliant question. Go to um James and David first, and I'll be right back with you. <laughs>
1: right, James, and in one thousand words. What football conspiracy do you believe in?
2: Uh, I'll go for doping at the highest levels of the sport. I think it's going on. I think it's rampant. I think it's everywhere. Uh, I've got absolutely no evidence to back this up, I should point out. i am given that a journalist, I should point out that, yes, I'm just talking <laughs> out of my arse here. But, Good. but let me present my case, because think about it. You, you see doping scandals in basically every other sport football is by far the most lucrative one and you're telling me that no so the risk the risks are the same that the rewards are much higher and you're telling me that no one's done it come off it there's only one there's only one explanation they're all in on it are you going to name any teams uh russia the euros in 2016. oh no doubt, still that, on that, the roads
0: that was the one was it, who is it was the guy was at 35 years old who ran like 75 yards and he like broke the, the world sprint record and all <laughs> it was like Unbelievable! I've never seen anyone run as fast in my life. And you're yeah. like, come on, <clears throat> absolute ready, no but, chance. Like, let me correct
2: myself. Sorry, it was the World Cup in 2018. Sorry, because it was the World Cup in Russia. But yeah, they, they were on average running like eight kilometers more than any other team in the in the tournament. And there were a bunch of like, it was a kind of aging squad of kind of jobbers. It was really <laughs> weird.
1: No, there was a there was a thread on Twitter a couple of weeks ago about football and conspiracies and. I, at least 50% of the, the sort of quote tweets were are doping at the top level. And a lot of people like saying Liverpool and the reason that they they slumped in the COVID season was because they had to stop because the the test positive with all the COVID tests and they were doing it, their drug, their doping would show up in that. And that's why they had such a bad season in the Do COVID what? season. I, I'm <laughs> going to throw in a big allegedly on that.
2: This has is, this is just reminded me actually of an article that was written about, it was on a Celtic blog. It was written about (laughs) Rangers, and it was obviously, and what they were suggesting was that, I think it was similar to the Jurgen Klopp thing, it was like, there's a three year cycle and they've been doping and that's how they won the league, that's how they won 55, uh, you know, Um, but the reason that it stuck with me is because it had an absolutely brilliant uh, headline on it, it was like, Rangers days of hope, or Ibrook's haze of dope.
0: James Kearney, Herald Times. <laughs> I wish. I've never come up with anything that clever. That was brilliant.
1: Do you write your own headlines, James?
2: Uh, sometimes, yes. Sometimes, no. That's my the, 2 or 3 card. He's
1: not the monkey. <laughs> Just the good ones. Just the good ones.
2: I got it. It. You hate it? No, that was a sub. Uh, you think that was a good one? I that was me.
1: David, football conspiracies? I
3: love, absolutely love, um, Neymar's, always being injured or suspended on his sister's birthday (laughs) and his own birthday. I think he actually played this year on his sister's birthday, ruining it, but it was about seven or eight times where he would get suspended or injured or be unwell and then go to a birthday party on the other side of the world. We've all thrown a sickie for big, important things, and it's good to see him showing support for his family and always being there for them. Um, (laughs) It reminds me of him. Jeff Hardy, uh, the wrestler whenever he was in TNA they used to do a UK tour every year but because Jeff Hardy's legally not allowed to visit the UK just to some drug charges before so every year they'd have to write an even more stupid injury for him to absolve him of going to the UK and I love that Neymar's been watching Jeff Hardy matches and thought I'm, I'm going to do this myself, you simply have to respect it to be honest, you know, a master in his craft.
1: Rhys, have you, have you caught up on your, your football conspiracies, what are you, what are you buying into? <laughs> so I went
4: to try and find that uh, TikTok page because there is some absolute belters there, but for what I can see they've removed all of this guy's videos and he said they got banned. So that just says it all, it? These the, the fucking Whoever's on him is on him and he's been shut up. He's probably dead right now. But uh, going back, like obviously this was before my time of remembering watching football. I was only born in 1999, but the 2002 World Cup with South Korea, that is definitely fixed. There's no way South Korea make it to the World Cup semi-finals in their home country. Or, but that was the most fraudulent thing you've ever seen. I've seen so many highlights of that and I'm sure um, there was one game in particular against, I think it was Italy. Let me just double check. I think the, the referee was wild. I've seen some wild decisions and I'm sure that the referee from that game um, was later involved in a, a drug, a drug, ca- sorry, I can't speak, a drug trafficking incident. But like, that was, that was wild.
1: There's a couple of games in that up Cup. I think it was a Spain one as well. And Spain had like three disallowed goals. But uh, I think, Quite a common one in that thread I was speaking about earlier was host nations of World Cups getting sort of favourable decisions and certain things overlooked and that would certainly tie in with James's um uh, unfounded allegations against the the brave Russians at the
0: What the are we gonna get World in twenty twenty eight for the Euros? Scotland are gonna be like what like taking HGH and like, you know, playing fucking, uh, penguin enclaves from like the Atlantic <laughs> Ocean to get a semi-final. I'll take it. I'll take anything at this point, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what daft um, things we get for t- Euro 2028.
1: Anyone want to jump in with anything else? Football or not related?
0: I, I I was just gonna can I just can I just say one thing about like sort of the reaction after last night, just because Oh, I like, go for it, go for oh, it. Oh right, I I was um I I was it was quite weird. Um now obviously we shouldn't ever use the Jags fans the old firm group as a metric for common sense, right? It is a, a total cesspit and it's full of quite wild opinions from time to time. But, of course, I am a ghoul, and I love that. <laughs> I was looking at it yesterday, and Jesus Christ, our fan base have lost the plot after these two games. I know we were terrible, but you know what? If the, if, we, if if we, you switched the Hamilton game, the, the Hamilton 4-0 game for the other Hamilton game at Far so you had a 4-0 at the start of the season and a 4-0 at the end of the season, it would be the same net result, and we wouldn't be, you know, calling this guy falling and stuff like that. It is two bad results, and we've looked poor. But people have been like totally going. Speaking of conspiracies, people have been completely going, you know, about oh the the club is rotten from the top down. Oh, we need to get to the bottom. Of it. We need to tear the club apart and start again and all that. And I'm like, mate, we've. I know it's like heavy, embarrassing losing to Hamilton Aki's, right? That's fair enough, but like people are absolutely going after and nuts, um, and just talking about how we need to get rid of McCall, we need to get rid of the board. All these players can go; they're no fit to wear a shirt. I'm like, fuck you, shut up. And like, yeah, yesterday the, um, the, like, when we were in the, we were, in, I was, I was with Matt at the game, sitting next to him, and you could hear booing, abuse, people just throwing. Awful stuff. In fact, you would you want to mention the, the one that you heard? No. <laughs> no, right, that's fine. Um some some quite wild and, and cr- funny um, stuff, but not stuff that like sane rational adults should be seeing like in in the open. It is absolutely unbelievable how much half our hand fan base heads have gone in the face of like two or three shy results. We're still in course for a playoff place. I bet people are acting like got, we're going to be fucking liquidated in like two weeks. And it's just unbelievable. I know we've got a lot of Moonhillers in our fan base. Hello, by the way, if you are listening. But,
1: um. <laughs> we've got a really niche target audience. Please don't alienate half of them.
0: <laughs> but, I mean, come on. Camden, lads, right? No.
1: I, I do agree. That's I think. Enough.
0: Uh, I've seen a lot of wild shouts
4: about Farhill lately as well. I've seen people suggesting we should just abandon Farhill, let it rot, and park up somewhere else and start playing in public parks for for the foreseeable because apparently Farhill's not good enough now and it's it's rotten to the core, the, the stadium's falling apart at the seams, So aye, that's just sprung upon us as well.
1: No, I think it is it's like a perfect storm at the moment because obviously the pitch is poor, like f- fan ownership seems to have stalled. You know, folk are sort of historically for three or four years now unhappy with the sort of high ups at the club um, and a couple of bad results recently off the back of a, a possibly disappointing January transfer window and folk have sort of seemed to have merged the one merged them all as one and as you say David it's almost as if we're, we're for a club in crisis we're like going to liquidate at the end of the season we're going to get relegated if you take a step back and look at it you know we're fourth in the league if we finish fifth in the league, it'll obviously be a disappointment, but it's not a disaster. We're in a much better place than we, than we were than when McCall stepped in. And like, if you think you McCall's not the right man for the job, totally fair enough. If you don't like the higher-ups at the club, totally fair enough. If you don't like, I don't know, Cammie Smith, Robbie Crawford, two names off the top of my head, fair enough. But like, ramming everything all as one and just calling us a, a crisis club, I, I think is over the top off the back of a couple of results. Well, I tell the Alan Ruff joke to boost morale? I don't know. James has heard it, right? So this isn't, this isn't my joke. Um, I think this is a, a joke as old as time, well as old as Alan Ruff's footballing career. Um, I heard this a few years ago and f- found it hilarious. And it's like one of the few jokes I remember. Right? So a man walks into a bar. It's, he's like a homeless man, sort of down in his luck, right? Uh, and he says to the barman, Look, mate, I've not got any money. If I make my dog talk, can I get a free pint? And the the barman sort of eyes him up, looks down at the dog, looks back at the guy and goes, I go, and then if you can make that dog talk, um, I'll give you a free pint. So the guy pulls a bit of sandpaper out his pocket and runs it down the dog's back. And he turns to the dog and goes, "How is that? And the dog goes, rough. And the barman goes, no, that you're not getting, you're no chance of getting a free pint for that mate. He goes right give me another shot so he turns to the dog and goes can you name me a, an area of a golf course and the dog goes rough and the barman goes right now that's it this is your last chance if you don't make this dog talk you're out you're barred so he, the man turns to the dog and looks the dog in the eye and goes right you need to get this right who's and goes for scotland at the 1982 world cup and the dog goes rough and the barman's like right that's it out So the guy takes his dog, takes his wee backpack, he's out. It's a cold night, he's sitting on the curbside, looks at his dog. No food, no water. And the dog turns to the man and goes, was it Jim Layton?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So good. I like it. 10 out of 10.
1: Anyway. (laughs) (coughs) Right. As always, thank you for joining us on Draw, Lose or Draw. (laughs) Thanks to David, Reese and James for joining me. We'll be back next week to look back on hopefully the end of a bad run at Rugby Park and our home game to our broth. In the meantime, stay safe. (laughs) Let's see. Oh god. This a fucking
0: <laughs> <laughs>